All right, everyone, welcome into the Athletic Denver Podcast. I am your host, Nate Crackman. You listen to me on weekday afternoons, Altitude Sports Radio 92.5 in Denver, the home of your Denver Nuggets. The All-Star break is concluded. The Nuggets will return to the floor on Friday night in Dallas to play Don Cheech and Dirk and the Mavericks here to get you ready for the... We call it the second half of the season, but there's only 25 games remaining in an 82-game schedule. Uh, But Nick Kosmeiter, Nuggets and NBA writer for the Athletic Denver, is our guest this week on the Athletic Denver podcast. Hi, Nick. Hey, how's it going, Nate? You know, if if you play, if you get all the way to the finals, then this kind of is the halfway point. I suppose Um, that's true. You you have all those those extra games. So uh, um, you could have up to, let's see, you go... Four, there's four series. Four you got to win 16 more games. Right. But you could play you can only as lose many. a max of 12, so you can play as many as 28 of them. 28 of them. So, yeah, yeah, there you go. Eh, close enough. Close enough. Yeah, we, we weren't <laughs> math majors. That's why we do these jobs. That's why we do this job. Okay. Um, before we, we get to the team as a whole, let's start with the reaction to NBA All-Star Weekend with the Nuggets, and there was a lot of stuff in there. It all pretty much started on Friday afternoon. I was on the air. We got a text message letting us know, hey, Josh Kroenke is going to be on your radio show here in a few minutes because the team is about to make a major announcement, and it was that Tim Connolly got his contract extension that Arturis Karnasovas has been extended as well, that the rest of the front office is getting contract extensions. It was kind of the one question left around the team, Nick, was are they going to be able to retain Tim Connolly long-term or could he potentially be walking away a la Masai Ujiri after the 2013 season? And you would think that if Tim Connolly were to hit the general manager open market, he would be highly sought after. Not a problem. The Nuggets get it done and Tim Connolly gets an opportunity to complete the building job that he has had going since 2013. Yeah, I, I want and I I don't think that it's a coincidence that the announcement of the extension for Tim Connolly, Arturis Karnaschovas, and the rest of the front office came in the wake of the news that Dell Demps had been let go in New Orleans. Yeah, um, you know, people immediately kind of started making that connection of Tim Connolly having had been the assistant GM in New Orleans before he arrived in Denver. His familiarity with with that organization, with that city. Um, you add that to the job that he has done here in Denver since he got here in 2013, and you say, well, that that's a guy that would be prime for that opportunity. So, um, you know, I think the Nuggets were to, were wise to nip that in the bud. You know, I, I had been told that this had been something that had been work been working on, um, you know, for for several weeks. Yeah. Um, so, I, and I think it had been trending that way longer in terms of uh, Josh Kroenke wanting to get this done. Um, again, you know, t- Tim Conley said this to, to Vic Lombardi uh, in the interview he did in Charlotte this weekend was, you know, we, we understood from our vantage point, you know, a lot of people said, oh, how, how come this hadn't been done already? Like, you know, they hadn't made the playoffs yet, um, you know, for, for all that for all that they've gained. Like, if you don't make the playoffs, there's not there's not that kind of like um, certifiable resume point that you have for all the work that you've done. And with it now clear that that's where they're going to be, um, barring just the most ridiculous collapse of all time, um, it, it, you know the time the time was now to, to, to go ahead and do that. So um, yeah, no, it's great. It it, uh, it for for the Nuggets, it's great. It holds it it holds that stability. It puts them kind of puts them at ease. Um, and again, like you said, it allows them to continue to chart this path forward because 
there's going to be some tough decisions to make now with, with some of the assets that you've accumulated, with some of the financial choices that have to be made, um, and they're allowing this group to be the ones that get to make those decisions. When you take a look at building jobs done in sports and in the NBA, when you consider the fact, and you wrote about it at The Athletic, uh, the highest draft pick on the team is a number seven overall selection in Jamal Murray, that they have done it with Gary Harris at number 19, which was a part of a savvy trade by Tim Connolly to trade the 11th pick for 16 and 19 with Chicago. 16 famously uh, was Yusuf Nurkic, who eventually was flipped into Mason Plumley, And then Gary Harris at number 19. You know, Jokic is a second rounder at number 41 overall. Savvy moves all over the place. Aaron Aflalo for Will Barton in the pick that turned into Malik Beasley. Uh, Monte Morris in the second round, identifying and going and getting Tory Craig, a guy who just checks a bunch of boxes and fits into a really nice role on this team. Like the amount of savvy moves that have been made to get to this point, really, to use a basketball pun, Nick, there haven't been any layups. There was never a situation where the Nuggets were sitting there with a number one overall pick staring at a a Shaquille O'Neal or a LeBron James type of talent that was going to transform the organization. No, essentially, the Nuggets did it the hard way, and it was a painful process to be able to get through, but to have gotten to this point Obviously, Connolly was deserving of the extension, but I think it's good to step back and kind of celebrate what he was able to do to build a team that is the second best team in the Western Conference that has, I think, championship aspirations here in the next few years and essentially doing it in an NBA flyover city like Denver. Yeah. And, you know, they, they did it in a way that um, it called for and and like other teams in these kind of markets demands some luck um right so you're you're not and the thing that i like about tim conley is he never tries to pretend otherwise um you know that they they do so much work so much scouting goes into these guys that they're trying to find and you know they've done their homework as well as anyone and and that's put them in position to to take advantage of, of the bounces that go their way um but to, to get a franchise player who is an all-star, who uh, will be in, a, in the top five in MVP voting this year mm-hmm. in his fourth NBA season, who was a 41st pick uh, in, in the draft. I mean, that that's the kind of stuff that they've done. And But like what I wrote was, you know, it'd be easy to just cast that off and say, OK, well, that that was they, they got lucky with that. Right. Well, at some point. You get a guy like Monte Morris, you pick him 51st. Um, you know, you you mentioned turning a guy like Gary Harris at 19, uh, turning Malik Beasley at 19, two guys now in the same position who who are who are really starring for this team. Um, you know, you do all that at some point, it's not too many of these things happen in a row. Luck is not really something that you can keep turning to and saying that's how they've gotten it done. And there's um, something to be said, I think, for and it's one of those kind of nebulous terms, but culture that Tim Connolly has created, and that culture exists within within Connolly, within Arturis Karnaschovas, with, with Mike Malone, top to bottom, and the best organizations in sports, they are in lockstep at every step of the organization, ownership, front office, coaching staff, and the guys inside the locker room, and the Nuggets have that established right now, which is a really hard thing to do in the NBA, you can probably count on just a little bit more than one hand the amount of organizations around the league that actually have that established right now 
if you get it, you can't mess with it. No, y- you can't. And it, but it's but it's tempting to. Right. right. It's tempting to mess with it before you get to that stage. That's I that's what I talked to Jeff Van Gundy for the profile I did on Michael Malone last week and he that's what he said. He was like the reason that the Nuggets are doing what they're doing because is because their biggest strength is continuity. Mm-hmm. Um and it's you look around the league like you mentioned Nate and it's hard to find. It's hard to find a, an organization that has their um, you know, their ownership level management, their front office management and coaching staff that have been together for, you know, even four years. I mean, that that's it's hard to keep everybody together in that kind of light. And now they've locked it down to go to go further. You're all of a sudden you're now in this era where you can look at and say, we could see this thing a decade in. And, and that's you start doing that. Then you're in really rarefied air in sports. And, you know, if they can, you're starting to be able to see with how young their roster is, what the moves are starting to make, um, with the attention they're drawing around the league and the success that they're having in the standings of how this thing could continue to push forward and become a just a stable force um, that people want to be a part of that. That's how you that's how you build a winner. It's organically. It's hard work. It's uh, you know, it's taking these chances. But I'll just add to this. What I what I think has been impressive about the front office staff is that it's not as if they haven't missed. right? Right. Moutier. They missed on Moutier. Gave up a first rounder they, along with Nurkic to get to, to get Plumley. Absolutely, that they, they they would have that back. They would take back the probably the entire 2017 draft. The Donovan Mitchell thing. Right. Sure. Right. So, so the, it, it hasn't been as if they have they've batted a thousand. Uh, and before 2017, before Mitchell, they they were really trying to trade for for a star. Whether that was Jimmy Butler or Eric Bledsoe or whoever it was that they were after. You know, Tim Collins said we were right there, and another team backed away at the Kyrie end. Kyrie so, pursued, Dwayne Wade pursued. So they've yeah. been. They Dwayne Wade was another one. They were. They thought they had really close to getting. They wanted to get in the LeBron James thing. So, so it's not as if they've just been able to do whatever they want. But I, to me, the mark of of a good front office is one that kind of pivots when things don't go your way mm-hmm. and builds it into something else. And and that's been the mark of their success. And I think the biggest part of it too is Nikola Jokic. We're seeing right now he covers up for so many sins. He really yeah. does. Yeah, you, you you can afford a few whiffs when you have a player like that. You can afford to deal with the kind of injuries that the Nuggets have dealt with this year when you have a player like that. Which brings us to Nikola Jokic at NBA All-Star <laughs> Weekend, uh, which was – it was a joy to watch. Uh, Friday, he did the Basketball Without Borders camp. Saturday, the Skills Challenge, which uh, he defeated Vucevic in, in the first round when, uh, when Vuce missed his three. He had Jason Tatum in the second round of the skills challenge, but he missed, missed his, his three, three. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that was the end of that for him. And then on Sunday in the All-Star game, there were a lot of fun moments in there. By far, my favorite was the first possession he was on the floor, and he caught the ball on the wing. And then put it on the floor with his left hand and looked for a dribble handoff. <laughs> he went into the Nuggets action of offense and there was nobody there. I don't think I even noticed that. It, it was hilarious. <laughs> he he caught the ball and he went into his dribble handoff action. Right. Which the Nuggets do 75 times a game. Right. And nobody and moved. just looking at him. <laughs> what, is, what do you think this is, man? And so he just he ended up throwing it over to Westbrook, who I think just jacked up a three from the opposite wing. Uh, but that was that was probably my favorite. He had the on the dunk. He complained. He wanted a call. <laughs> he wanted a foul, which right. I thought was funny. Um, he had the, he very had the, on brand. He had the play where he bounced it off LeBron, and he had a good laugh out of all of that. But uh, Jokic in the in the All Star game, I found very entertaining. Isn't it almost funny when um, when he caught that pass from Giannis and and dunks, which I think was only his eighth dunk of the year. 
um, you're almost like, oh man, he should have been on the other end of that. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you're almost was, dis- you're almost disappointed that he's the one dunking. Like, no, that's what he does, man. Right. He's he, the one le- passing. he leaked out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Cherry picked, caught a pass, and, and was able to throw it down. It was awesome. I, I also loved how um, I, I think the All-Star game was for Nikola Jokic because he would get back slowly um, you know, on the offensive end, and as soon as a guy would put up a shot, if he wasn't to the three-point line, he would turn around and go back and probably only go back to the three-point line because his his guy was coming back, and that's where he could guard him. So he's only having to run like half the court, which you know I'm sure was ideal. After the skill challenge um, – our, our buddy Mike Singer over at the Post, I think, had his most viral tweet because he he he, he uh, said something about Nicola's comment when asked what his uh, what the worst part of the skills challenge was or what he didn't enjoy or something. He said the running. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you know that that was just again he was very much himself. I think that's what that's the one thing from afar that you know that you could look at and say, yeah, he went there, he goofed around, you know, he he had a good time, which is you know is what you hope for with him that he's not going to take it too seriously. You know, only played 13 minutes in the game. Mm-hmm. We talked about it on your show. I think it's just sort of that pecking order that you have to, you know, your first time you're not going to get as much run, um, which, again, for him probably wasn't too sad about it. Yeah, no, it, it was it was good to see that he went out and played 13 minutes. And uh, he, I, I thought he handled himself very well. He was himself throughout. He showed his personality. It, it was fun to see him kind of get exposed to that world. It is funny. NBA All-Star Weekend, it's it's just a different existence, man. And uh, y- you forget LeBron James and Kevin Durant and Steph Curry and James Harden and Russell Westbrook and all these dudes, just how frigging famous oh, I know. those guys are. And there's our buddy, unassuming Nikola Jokic over there, hanging out amongst them, being a peer of those guys. It it still seems like an odd fit, but basketball wise, he belongs there. Yeah, no, basketball wise, that's and that's the thing, right? Is the the game evens out. Like at, at the end of the day, all that stuff, you know, that kind of dictates so much of the coverage of the league, um, you know, the the social media impressions, whatever you want to call it, like that stuff is all important to the league. The celebrity culture of the NBA is a big part of yeah. of, of why it exists in the cultural space it does. It's yeah. because because of the celebrity factor. We're, My we're, wife loves the NBA and hates basketball. Right. We are obsessed as a country with yeah. celebrity culture. And so that's why basketball is is such a popular sport in this country because of that very reason. Um, but, yeah, when, when you strip it all down, when you play the game – um, he is absolutely, I mean, deserving. He's one of the best, he's one of the best players there. Like I said, I, I think he'll be top five in MVP voting. I think he should probably be higher than that, but I, th- I think that's probably where he'll end up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was good. I, I, my other favorite part of all-star weekend was, um, after the, after the game, after Michael Malone had done his like regular podium appearance, I think he was then talking to, to singer and to Vic Lombardi. And he was, he was saying, um, he, you could tell that he actually legit was frustrated with the defense in the first half. <laughs> like, was actually, like, frustrated. And I, I think the quote like was, was like, uh, LeBron came up to him and said, can we go, we're going to go watch this J. Colt concert if that's cool. He's like, well, it's cool if you'll get your asses back in transition. <laughs> it's like, dude, it's the all-star game, man. <laughs> Doesn't know how to flip it off. He is, uh, he is an intense dude. You wrote about it. Uh, I, I never know how to approximate these, um, approximately, I don't know, 250,000 words that you wrote <laughs> about Michael Malone on the athletic 
and and kind of following his path of how he got started in the coaching profession. You know, obviously his his dad was a coach, but how he got there and how he was able to make the step from uh, you know high school to the college level to eventually coaching in the NBA. And you went and talked to a lot of his mentors in the business through the years between uh, Jeff Van Gundy and Monty Williams, and uh, you even tracked down Pete Gillen for this story. Like you talked to everybody that had ever known Michael Malone, <laughs> and the guy just—he's got fans uh, that he is kind of left along the way to to get to the point where he's at. You know, the the, the thing I took away from that story most that le- that, that kind of really sat with me was was when Monte William Monty Williams. I keep saying Monte just because I'm so used to saying Monte Morris. Uh, Monty Williams. Um, he was talking to me about that one year in New Orleans and the way he almost, I almost couldn't really like accent it in print the way that he was telling me that, that this fishing trip that they went on this fishing retreat and, and just like, you know, Michael, Michael Malone, just like busting chops and just, just being a guy that was just hilarious that, that made you laugh that, that you wanted to be around. He said that that's the, that's the mark of, I think what has made Michael Malone. So, in, you know, so tethered to his players mm-hmm. is that he, a lot of times you don't want to be around your coach. Your coach drives you crazy. And and he certainly does that to a point when you're a head coach, it's a long grinding season. There's sometimes you just want to get away, but guys want to be around him. And, and you have to be liked in this industry. You really do. I mean, there's a lot of talented minds. There's a lot of guys who know basketball, right? But it's just like anything else. If you don't have kind of that, that gravitas, that, that, you know, that uh, just personality that, that connects you to people, it's, it's going to be harder. And he has that in spades. And that, that's the one thing I took away from that is from an early time, he just had this way of connecting with people always knew the game as a great mind for the game, but you know, but a lot of people do. And, and, and so t- to have that kind of just way that you can connect with, I, I, I like Gillen's quote was like, you know, the bus driver, the owner, the, you know, the, the player, whoever it is, he, he just has a way of, of connecting. And, that, and that's really been, I think a mark of his success in Denver. And there's a, there's a bond that he creates with his players. Um, our friend Vic Lombardi tweeted out a great video of when he asked LeBron James about Michael Malone. And the quote was kind of boilerplate, but as soon as he mentioned Coach Malone, LeBron just got this big smile on his face. Um, I mean, LeBron, Chris Paul, DeMarcus Cousins, Isaiah Thomas was a guy along the way. I think Jokic is going to end up on that list of just guys that... Jamal uh, Murray, too. Jamal Murray. They played some of their best basketball of their life playing with them, but also I think just have... Um, a, a pretty cool connection with him. And as we have seen with guys like, especially like LeBron James and DeMarcus Cousins, they haven't always necessarily had that with their coaches. That smile that you said when, when, when Vic first asked that question, the smile says, oh man, I got some stories. <laughs> I got some stories that are that are not appropriate. And so then let me snap back into like polished, I'm going to give you an answer kind of mode. But this, this the look to that question says everything you need to know, uh, you know about that connection. Michael Malone, LeBron James, I think has always always had a really big admiration for the year that uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers won 66 games mm-hmm. when they when they made their finals run, um, or or was it the year after they made their finals run? It might have been might have been the year after. Um, the, anyway, they, they won 66 games and he was the architect of the, of their defense. Uh, I believe it was in 2009, and you know I think LeBron James took a lot from the way that he he coached them defensively. I think the next year 
They put him back on the Mike Brown made him his offensive consultant. And I think LeBron kind of bristled at that because he said this, this guy, he puts us everywhere. We need to be on defense. And that's sometimes Malone's frustration here is because he knows that side of the, the ball so well and just hasn't always been able to, or often hasn't been able to get it, you know, clicking here in Denver. But I, again, I just think that respect factor that he has created among, among stars in the league, both for his acumen and the way that he connects with guys, it's a, it's a big part of his success. And it's, it's going to be a big part of what Denver tries to do here going forward. And a reason that they extended him before the season even began. That is weird. You mentioned the 2009 Cavs. They lost in six in the Eastern conference finals uh, to the, do you remember who they lost to in 2009? Who went to the finals that year? Little trivia on the podcast here. Was it Orlando? It was the Orlando yeah. magic, the Dwight Howard and Jameer Nelson led Orlando magic who went to the finals that year. I think they also beat Boston that year in the playoffs. Yeah. That was the most boring NBA finals ever. <laughs> the, I remember that the, the magic Lakers 2009, Oh, that's, it was just so dull. Like Orlando was in just no way ready. I think Dwight Howard didn't perform well in the finals at all. And they had ridden him basically to, to that stage. And yeah, um, so Kobe and Pau Gasol got him. Was, was it a sweep? The 09 finals? Uh, it was five games. Five games, yeah. Yeah, the five-game NBA finals, yes. Uh, remember, there was a time when Dwight Howard could actually lead a team to the NBA <laughs> know, finals. That, uh, By the way, quick question. Dwight Howard, Hall of Famer. Oh, man. I don't think so. I, I don't, like, you know, I, I'll say that, and obviously, NBA... It's a lot easier, I think, to get into the Hall of Fame in the NBA right. than the NFL or Major League Baseball. Right. So that that alone would probably lead me to say he's got a good shot. Mm-hmm. But I guess I, I honestly don't really even know what his credentials are. I know he made the one finals. He's been Defensive Player of the Year a couple times. Three times. Three times. Um, I don't know. What, what, what are his career averages? Uh, let's see. Career numbers. He is a... 17.13 rebound player in his career, but the scoring numbers uh, have been dragged down a lot in recent seasons. Right. Um, he, he always had the free throw problems, but uh, eight-time All-Star, eight-time All-NBA, uh, five-time All-Defensive, three-time Defensive Player of the Year. That's a pretty good resume. That, that's a Hall of Fame yeah. career, is it not? It's just, and, and it's funny because Orlando Dwight seems like it was so long ago it was a disaster with the lakers uh houston was it was okay and then he just kind of bounces team to team right now but i, I mean his orlando run that was eight seasons yeah he was no, a great he was, player he was great. in orlando he was he was uh he was like Shaq orlando like, yeah that's how successful he was there mm-hmm. and it, it, i it, you're right i think that's been forgotten just how dominant he was just because of what's happened the last five or six years with him having essentially no stability, no sustained run of success. Yeah. And then obviously the stuff that, you know, when you start rubbing teammates the wrong way, um, it doesn't do you much favors, but you know, uh, NBA voters for the hall of Famer are pretty forgiving. And I think uh, he'll have a, he'll have a good shot. Yeah. The, the personality thing I, th- I think ultimately is what's going to hold him down. But again, again, you just look at that resume. Yeah. That, that, that's Hall of Fame stuff right there. Yeah, he carried uh, he carried the Orlando Magic to the finals. So. Eight-time All-NBA, absolutely. And again, you can make the argument, eh, bad Eastern Conference. They beat Boston, they beat Cleveland. Well, and to be All-NBA, it doesn't really matter what conference you play in. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. No, he, uh, he, he, it, it's weird to think, but I think Dwight Howard should be in the Basketball Hall of Fame. All right. So what you're saying is he should be the buy, a buyout candidate for the Nuggets in the second <laughs> half of the season. <laughs> <laughs> no, he shouldn't. <laughs> Isaiah Thomas. 
Uh, we finally saw him on the floor last Wednesday night against the Sacramento Kings over at the Pepsi Center and uh, scored eight points towards the end of the third quarter, hit a couple of threes, went on a little run. Uh, he was a big part of helping the Nuggets get back into that game and eventually beat Sacramento that night. It was a night of of kind of great warm feelings over at the Pepsi Center with Isaiah Thomas. Um, as the sample size grows, it's going to get more difficult. There are only so many minutes to go around in the uh, in the backcourt rotation for the Nuggets. But at least in terms of what we have seen so far, and I, I would assume that he he's recovering well enough and going to be ready to play with the hip injury. We'll see how the Nuggets going to play this going forward. But he looks like he still has game. Yeah, let's let's take that as a huge positive. Now is really when we get into the discovery period here. Yeah, you know you you saw. I thought the biggest thing was like two. He had these two buckets that were just pure, pure isolation scores yeah. where he just bested the guy guarding him. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's what he brings. Um, he is an isolation weapon that, you know, they have in Jamal Murray um, at times. Um, they obviously have it in Nikola Jokic um, in a different way, but they have it in Nikola Jokic. I would say in Will Barton at times. Will Barton at times, though, he can. Um, I, I think what Isaiah Thomas brings you is just like the the sort of cold stone knowledge that he's just going to take the ball and this is going to be simple. I'm going to make like one or two moves and I'm going to get my shot and, yeah. and that's going to be that. And and that's an important thing to have uh, when when you're fighting in the playoffs, when you're when you're fighting for playoff positioning, um, because he is fearless. And, and even that part of it, you saw his, you know, he joked after he joked after the game that um, you know he's about to cuss somebody out for not putting him in in that final offensive possession. I don't really know how much he was kidding, you know. I think. You Did know, you think it was so weird in, in going through the kind of that whole day? You know that that morning it was. I'm not here to fit in. I'm here to stand yeah. out. I'm one of the best basketball players on the planet. And then that night after the game, like you talked about, he joked about that, and then he just said, "I'm I'm just here to help," and <laughs> right. I and I know my place. Of uh, a lot of contradictions coming out of Isaiah Thomas. Yeah, I, I think part of that. Like you said, it was this kind of like whirlwind day of emotion and talking a bunch when you hadn't talked all year. Yeah. Um, it was also weird how we get there that day. He talks. He's asked if he's going to play. He says he doesn't know. As soon as that media availability is over, Adrian Wojnarowski is reporting that he is going to play. <laughs> um, so there was just a lot of like weird stuff about how the night got started. He's, you know, he's riding the, 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 the bike, the exercise bike off to the side before he gets called in and plays. Um, you know, but but I think my thought is that what he when he says. I'm, you know, I'm here to, I'm not here to fit in. I'm here to stand out. And then he kind of says, I'm not here to step on toes. My thought is that he believes that his best way to fit in is by being the guy that, that stands out, that, that will take the big shot that will, you know, be your, your, your microwave score, uh, and will play in that kind of fearless way that he has to play in order to be successful. He, Isaiah Thomas, you can't be five foot nine or, you know, that, I guess that's a, the generous listing of his height, five foot nine, um, you know, coming off this injury, going through all he's gone through and not like still carry yourself in this way of like, I'm one of the best players in the world, which mm -hmm. he still thinks that he is. Um, and he's going to play like that. And in his mind, he's going to get back to that stage. So I don't think you can have that mindset and then just turn it off and say, oh, I'll just go stand in the corner and, you know, shoot when I shoot. He's got to be the, if he's going to play, he's got to play the way that yeah. he knows how to, because that's how he's successful. If he does, if he, if he tries to, to, to be a shrinking violet 
it's it's not going to work. Um, and and so the Nuggets, I, I think teammates around him understand that, and and they'll start to I think accept it. Um, as long as he's you know scoring, as long as he's being productive, uh, I I think those two things, those two kind of competing ideals, can fit together. 25 games to see. The pairing of uh, he and Monte Morris really worked against Sacramento, and Sacramento's a little bit of a unique opponent in that they play at uh, a pretty breakneck pace yeah. out on the floor in in slower games and especially in the postseason when transition defense uh, is generally at a premium and, and teams take it very seriously, when, when possessions get a little bit more drawn out. I don't know how much you can put Monte and Isaiah Thomas out on the floor together, and I think that's going to be a part of the challenge for Michael Malone is, is figuring out the pairings or 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 groupings that work in the backcourt. Yeah, because you you in the playoffs you hunt you hunt the mismatch on just about every possession, mm-hmm. and, and like you said, there there wasn't there's not much offense that gets run. There's so much of what Sacramento does is transition based, so you're not dribbling up the floor, finding the mismatch, and then and then exploiting it. Uh, but just one example was. Um, you know, in a after a timeout, Sacramento was inbounding the ball in the front court. Um, Isaiah Thomas's guy was Bogdan Bogdanovich, who is like I think six five. Um, so has like a seven inch advantage. They just post him up down low in the post, lob it into him, and the, the Nuggets all kind of crash down. That that's and it was it was a bad defensive play because you don't need four guys to crash down on him. But all four did. Bogdanovich had an easy pass to Harrison Barnes for a wide open three point shot. That's going to be an issue because if now as 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 good of a you know smart of a defender as maybe even say Monte Morris is, he can get exploited in that way too because yeah. you're just simply not big enough. Um, so I, I do think that if if they those two play together, it'll have to be in kind of really short spurts when another team is going small. Um, but it does allow you to push the pace and offensively ha- having an, an extra guy with the ball in his hands who knows what to do with it that that could be really dynamic. And so I I think if there there's the opportunity to use that matchup, they'll use it. But here, here we go in 25 games. Gary Harris is, is, is Michael Malone said, finally going to be back. He'll be healthy um, or close to it. So he'll be playing Jamal Murray, you would hope, another week removed from, from the ankle injury that he dealt with should be fresh. Obviously, Malik Beasley, Monty Morris, two guys who had to play a lot of minutes in the wake of those injuries, have had some time to recuperate. And then Isaiah Thomas you know, went to Miami during the All-Star break, uh, worked out down there while he vacationed with his family. So you have all these guards who should be fresh and ready to go. Uh, I don't envy Michael Malone because I, I really don't know what the answer is of like how you're going to distribute all this. Um, but he, I, I thought the thing that he said after after the win over Sacramento that stood out was like, I'm not here to make friends. We're not this isn't we're not here to like give everybody, you know, a lollipop. It, it's it's we're here to win games. And if everybody's on board with that, I'll, I'll figure it out. But we just got to we just got to be pulling on the same rope. Yeah. And I think that there is a benefit to uh, when you think about Isaiah Thomas, he wasn't a trade deadline acquisition. He didn't just show up here and say, I don't understand what the program is around here. He got to spend the whole year with the team, and the Nuggets were very cognizant of making sure he was around during practice, that he was on the bench during games. Like The the culture of the basketball team, he has been immersed in it, and now as he gets to walk into it again, it isn't, I'm always going to be looking for mine because there is a program here that he is aware of. So hopefully that will make life a little bit easier for Mike Malone as he gets ready for playoff basketball because that is it is just a different thing. This group has never done it before. Rotations are going to shrink. Guys yeah. that, that Nuggets fans love. You can't love, play 10 guys in the right, playoffs. Right, you, you can't. And, and guys that Nuggets fans love to watch play, um, they're, they're not going to see the floor quite as much like it'll be interesting to see for guys 
like Juancho Hernan Gomez, like like Tory Craig, uh, of how these guys still fit in. Trey Lyles, will will he still be a part of the rotation for the Nuggets as they go forward into the postseason? Like, how is that all going to work out? And especially with uh, essentially six guards on your team that you really really like. How is everybody going to fit this into like, this didn't, whole thing? Didn't, wasn't it a couple seasons ago that the Rockies started a season they had like six outfielders? Yeah. Um, was that was that? Um, that sounds about right. Yeah. Walt they Weiss only have three right year. now. Yeah. <laughs> that was Walt Lysa. It was like, uh, you know, they had Blackman and Dickerson and Cargo and uh, oh gosh, they had a couple other dudes. Um, but yeah, and I because I remember I remember Nick writing a piece about that. Like six guys. What the heck are you going to do? Yeah. Um, and, and that's that's sort of the position the position that they're in. But the reality is like, this is a, this is kind of a sprint to the end, right? Like Isaiah Thomas is, and you made a good point. Like he, to be around, I think he's invested in this now. Like, yeah. let, let's be honest. His, his biggest, his biggest goal right now is, is to play well enough to show a team that he is deserving a, of a decent contract in July, right? To, to continue his de- career as a 30 year old point guard who can still do some damage in this league. Mm-hmm. Denver's probably not going to be in a position to pay him to be on their team next year. So so you're looking at a guy who 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 wants who definitely wants to show something, but I think it's important what you said. He's invested in this now. You know, he 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 cares about these teammates that they've gotten a lot from him. Um, so, so it, you're right. It's not just, he came in here. I'm just trying to show out for two months and then get out of here. Uh, I, I think he's, he's invested in it. He appreciates the trust that, um, it, that Michael Malone has put him. He also appreciates that the organization was true to its word to say, we will let you recover at your own pace. We will not push you to get back. And, and so I, I think there's some, a lot of mutual respect there, but at the end of the day, 25 games to go, it's it's really just got to be a matter of like what's going to work for the Nuggets. They have a two game lead on the number two seed in the West, and, and capturing that I think is so important because that that ensures you home court advantage until you would meet the Warriors in a in a theoretical Western Conference Finals. Yeah. So um, it's it's whatever it takes to to get that done um, is what they're going to go with. But I, I'm really fascinated to see coming out of the break uh, Friday night in Dallas just how that how that will look because like you said, I mean Gary Harris, Malik Beasley you know, um, Monty Morris, Jamal Murray, Isaiah Thomas, like that's just a lot of guys to, to work in there. And, and it's, it's, it's an, not an enviable task for Michael Malone. Monte Morris and Malik Beasley have just been so damn good. I, I saw a number since the first of January amongst guards in the NBA, two, uh, two highest field goal percentages yeah. amongst guards in the NBA since January 1st. Malik Beasley and Monte Morris. What would the odds of that been in Las Vegas? Seriously, like, like it's it's just a, and, and you know, and all the other names on the list are you know, it's it's. I think it was Steph Curry and James Harden, and there yeah. are these guys. But there's there's Monte and Malik right at the top of the list. Um, both have been on such an upward trajectory with this team. You hate to see minutes get taken away from either of them. Malik Beasley adds an explosiveness to this team in addition to just being a really damn good shooter. One of the things that I'll be really interested to see is is at what point will the Nuggets start to get full return again from Gary Harris? Yeah, and that that's such a good question. And to me, it, to me, it's a vital question going forward because he's different than the rest of this group, right? Mm-hmm. He he brings um, a, a style of play that focuses on the defensive end and and embraces the matchups that he has against some of the Western Conference's best guards. And they have really slipped in the absence of him on the perimeter. Um, and, and then even when he was back playing, wasn't quite himself, didn't have that same gravitational pull on the defensive end. That is such a key to me 
um, going forward. They, they really need to get him back to, to, to what he can do on that end because that's a big part of why, you know, one of the, the issues that they've had is, is consistent flybys on the perimeter and inability to even slow guys down has led to either layups or wide open three-point shots. And that's something that they have to fix. It's not really something they have in-house outside of Gary Harris. And so to me, his health and his ability to, to be that guy on the perimeter defensively, while still obviously being able to shoot the ball at a high level, you know, be maybe the best cutter on the team for Jokic, his return and his his return and his ascension to, to what he was last year or even somewhere close to it is is paramount for this team in the in the in the final stretch. All right. So as we sit here today and starting to think about playoff basketball for the Nuggets, um, the Nuggets are the number two seed. Here is the, the kind of the back half of the Western Conference playoff picture because from Sacramento at 30 and 27 all the way up to Houston at 33 and 24 that is five teams separated by all of three games this thing is going to be fluid um, as it stands right now the Nuggets would play San Antonio in the first round but of this group of Houston Utah San Antonio the Clippers Sacramento do you have uh, in that group a a most unattractive or or least appealing first round matchup for the Nuggets? And probably throw the Lakers into that mix too. Let's let's put the Lakers um, in it. They're a game under five hundred right now, but they have LeBron James, right? Which is the reason why they would probably, honestly, in that group, be the most unappealing matchup as a as a two seven or a three six, whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I think I actually think that. The worst matchup would be Houston. Mm-hmm. But, I agree, but, but I but I also they think got that, the monkey off their back. But Harden is still a nightmare. Right, for them. right. That was still one win after nine straight losses, right. and I, and I, and they didn't have Clint Capella, who's been a Nuggets killer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, uh, but I but I don't think that I don't think those teams are going to match up in the first round. I, I think if Houston doesn't, Houston's either going to move up further, they're going to catch Portland, be a top four seed, or or they're going to stay right where they are and. Unless the Nuggets were to slip into that four-five matchup, that which that would be a, probably a nightmare for them. Um, I, I think they will avoid Houston. So, so f- back, you know, behind that, the really the only team that I think scares you in that group is le- the Lakers, and it's not because they're playing well right now. It's simply because we have seen, uh, we have just such a horde of evidence of what LeBron James is in the playoffs. Yeah. And we have um, we have z- zero data um, on, on the Nuggets. I think Adam Mares ro- uh, wrote it well. He's like. LeBron playoff LeBron is as much of a certainty as playoff Nuggets are a mystery, and for that very reason, I I think the Lakers would be an unappealing matchup. I don't I don't think that would be like oh they're doomed they have no shot just because sure. that team is a dumpster fire. But again, I I would just if if I'm the Nuggets, I I want to find some path that gets to avoid LeBron James in the first round. I would tend to agree with that. I, I will say this too, and I'm going to bring up a team here, and it, it's the one that they just saw the other night, but. I think Sacramento would just be a pain in the ass. <laughs> it wouldn't be easy. In a seven-game series, seven games of De'Aaron Fox. Buddy Heald, I, I, Buddy Heald is is a scrappy dude well, what's out New on Orleans the floor. What's doing, man? Like, I, I don't know. To get, I mean, obviously they, they wanted to re-sign to Marcus Cousins. They're getting into that star game. Yeah. But like, man, to get rid of a guy of that, of that talent that quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously it's hindsight's now because now you don't have DeMarcus Cousins you're about to not have Anthony Davis um you know so everything's gone downhill for them but like yeesh man that guy's a player the Nuggets they would win the series against Sacramento I I have no doubt of that um 
but I don't think it would be a cakewalk. Right. They, I, I think they'd be smarting after that they'd, series. Yeah, a they'd bit. walk into the second round probably a little bit, a little bit gassed. That that yeah. that would, yeah, that that would push them. Um, you know, as as young as the Nuggets are, the the Kings are even younger. Um, so that I I still think they're they're a ways away. But um, yeah, outside of that though, I mean, the Clippers don't really scare you. I I think Utah doesn't score enough to to really scare you too much although you know they can really lock down defensively in a series and, and have a guy in Donovan Mitchell who could who could swing a lot of games last time the Nuggets played them Jokic made Gobert look pretty bad in the post a few times yeah now I, granted it, it, Gobert would have a much larger sample size to be scouting off of but uh I thought Jokic made him look kind of silly down there that, that, and he's a great post defender. right one of the best things I think about Jokic this year I, I, I've said this is his post offense has taken a huge leap. I, yeah. I think it's under it's underappreciated. It's underrated. Just how dominant of a post score he is right now. He can get anything he wants down there. He can score it in a variety of ways. Um, shoots it with both hands. Has amazing touch, but also is using um, this really improved strength that um, Felipe Eichenberger, the Nuggets strength and conditioning coach, told me has has really resulted from this this diet that he's been on this year. Has made him stronger, um, better conditioning, all those kind of things. His his post his post game has been incredible, and I I think that's going to be a big deal in the playoffs too. Is you know if if teams are going to blitz him early, if that's the way that they're going to decide to handle him, we, we've seen it time and time again. He's going to beat you. He's going to find an open guy, and if the Nuggets hit shots, you really have no chance. But if you leave him alone, there's so few guys right now that you would even say, all right, that guy alone on him has a chance. Gobert is one of those guys, but mm-hmm. as you mentioned, um, you know he he's he's done pretty well with that matchup too. So. The second-round series the Nuggets will probably get, should they get there, is Oklahoma City. And Russell Westbrook is – he's Russell Westbrook. He's an MVP, averages a (laughs) triple-double. Paul George is the guy that makes that series scary as hell. On both ends. Yes. On both ends. and He's going to be Defensive Player of the Year, right? He's going to be Defensive Player of the Year. I mean, he really honestly – Could be MVP. He could be MVP. Like, right now, I would put Giannis ahead of him. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but I would probably put him ahead of J- James Harden right now. He, as, as historic of a scoring streak as Harden has been on, as amazing as his season has been, um, I, I just think what 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 Paul George has done on both ends of the court while lifting that team, um, he, he's been incredible. And, and that team that that will scare you because they play such good defense. They play so hard on that end of the floor. And you know, again, when they get to crunch that down even further, condense, you know, tighten the game, tighten the screws on the game even more. Um, you know, that's going to be that's going to be another tough matchup. But again, Nuggets, you know, they have to like that they have played the Thunder well so far this year. Yeah, they they really have. And then, of course, it would be Golden State then in the Western Conference Finals. And um, well, it was a great year. <laughs> <laughs> Had a great run at it. But our, but like, let's be serious. If they make if they make the Western Conference Finals, like that is a monumentally successful season. Huge. Like, I mean, just house money from then on out. Absolutely. And and I even think if they get to like even getting to the second round, I I think that that you know depending on how it would end, you get you were in the second round with everybody everybody important coming back for for the most part, and just you know knowing the talent of the team you have. Um, I, I think that too would be the mark of a very successful season. But you know, why, why sell yourself short at this? T- if you're, if you're going to finish as a two seed, um, you know, why not think you can make a run of the Western Conference Finals? All right, Nick Cosmiter, everybody, the Athletic Denver covering the Nuggets and the NBA. Uh, Nick, tell the people what you've been working on of late, what they should expect. And by the way, if you have not read Nick's piece on Michael Malone. Uh, do yourself a favor and, and set aside a few minutes and sit down and read it. It's an education and it's uh, it's very well done. Oh, thank you, Nate. I appreciate that. Yeah, give that give that a give that a read. I'm gonna I'm gonna have a piece on Thursday of uh, 
um, you know, kind of six burning questions facing the Nuggets in these final 25 games. Uh, and, and then I have a piece coming out um, on Wednesday morning that I'll just say that I that I hope everybody goes and checks out. All right, so uh, be a subscriber to The Athletic. Follow The Athletic Denver on Twitter at, Athle- uh, at The Athletic Den. Excuse me, I don't want to screw that up. <laughs> Follow Nick on Twitter at Nick Cosmiter because he is great covering the Nuggets and covering the NBA. Nick Cosmiter, everybody. Nick, well done. Thanks, buddy. All right, and uh, make sure you listen to my radio show, Altitude Sports Radio, 92.5 in Denver, 2 to 6 in the afternoon. And, of course, 92.5 FM Altitude Sports Radio is the home of the Denver Nuggets. So listen to every game right there. Uh, That'll do it for this edition of the Athletic Denver Podcast. We'll talk to you next time.